You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 112 of the Comic Book Informer podcast. We are coming to you on February 27th, 2013. I'm your host, Vince, and Roger, wake up. The show's starting. Okay, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. You, you sure? I mean, really, how much do I have to contribute when the show consists of you being awesome? I'm just always going to be second fiddle. I thought we were over this. No. Did you really? Did you really? <laughs> One can only hope it gets lost in your Tylenol fog. Never. This much I'm retaining on to. I'd be like memento. I'm going to have a little tattoo to remind me forever, even if my memory goes. Remember Vince's Vince, podcast. Yes. <laughs> well, for today's discussion, we're going to dive into Death of the Family, which has been the ongoing Batman and Batman-related comic storyline for several months now. Uh, the last issue we spoke about at length was the first issue, uh, number 13. And, you know, we've touched on a few of them here and there, but I figured now that it's all over, we probably just should look back at it and kind of see how things have gone. Like what we saw in issue 13, uh, written by Scott Snyder, uh, art by Greg Capullo, Jonathan Glapion, and FCO Placencia, was Joker was back, Joker was killing everybody, and basically it was bad times for Gotham. And where we saw at the end of the first issue, Batman was kind of left in a pickle with uh, Harley setting him up in a trap. But hey, he's Batman. That's what he's for. He gets out of there. Unfortunately, when he gets back to Wayne Manor, he finds out that Joker has kidnapped Alfred. And what's very disturbing is he leaves a message addressed to Bruce Wayne, not to Batman. So this definitely sets up a very interesting way for the story can go. And that alone really had me interested in what's going on here. It did with me too. I um, like right from the get go, there was a different, different feel to this than um, a lot of other stories revolving around the Joker. And it, it felt much more realistic in its, its the, the, the terror that you felt with what was going on. It just, I don't know. It was a lot grittier and right from the get-go i've got opinions as it went on we'll get to that as we get to the later and especially the last issue but i don't know it just it felt i don't know if you felt the same way like the it felt more real in terms of what was going on i don't know about real but definitely uh more visceral like we see the the whole point of what joker's doing here is he's recreating a lot of his you know greatest crimes but in much more extreme and, in many cases, deadly fashions. And that definitely ups the stakes. Yeah. And maybe it was... Maybe it was because Alfred was was taken yeah, as don't, well. Yeah, don't mess with Alfred. Yeah, it just it made it feel... There was something different about it. And because of how it was written, too, a lot of the things that were going on... I don't know. For me, I did feel that, like... It's like watching a, a, a thriller and you'll get some that because they're so way out there, it's hard to take it seriously and really feel any true fear for what's going on kind of thing or uneasiness. But then you look at something like, say, um, and this is going back, but The Silence of the Lambs, when it had first come out, especially because of the manner in which it was handled, it was so much more frightening because it was rooted in some form of reality with serial killers mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, and picking a good example because of the skin thing. 
Oh, God. We'll get back to that later. <laughs> we had a really cool scene with uh, Batman and Nightwing when, you know, Batman's telling him Alfred was kidnapped and, you know, Nightwing's obviously freaking out, but Batman's, you know, trying to remain distant, trying to remain calm, you know, putting out that Joker didn't kidnap Alfred because he's Batman's butler, but Bruce Wayne himself has publicly, you know, come out as the financier of the Batman Incorporated. So that's why he went after Alfred. You know, he knows Alfred was at least a tenuous connection to Batman. And, you know, Nightwing's not buying it. Nightwing's like, you know, this something's wrong here. And this whole theme of distrust that running through here, we see how whether consciously or not, Joker's unraveling Batman's relationship with all of his protégés and, you know, the Bat family. And I think that was really, really interesting to see that play out because throughout all this, you know, they've had their issues with Batman over the years, but they always know when Bruce says something, you know, he means that they can trust him. They can take him at his word. But there's a lot of that going on here where he's withholding information from everybody. Well, not just that. Was it the, um, was it that first issue where they, uh, he talked about the, the playing card or did that come later? That was like issue four, late 14, early 15. Yeah, I can't remember which it was. So that really right there pounded that idea home of the secrets that he keeps from his team too. And I mean, we've seen that over countless other issues and different series and all that, that yeah, he does keep stuff from the, the, the team and tells them what they need to know essentially. But considering the severity of this, it's one of those, this should have gone out to everybody kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Joker plays up on that where he's telling all of them he knows who they are. You know, he has his little black book full of all their darkest secrets. And as you said, you know, Batman withholds information that at one point in one of his early encounters, he actually found one of the Joker's playing cards, you know, floating next to the bat boat in the cave. You know, he swears there's, you know, there's no way Joker could have gotten there. It's another one of his mind games. But when you see everything that the family is going through in the storyline, it's kind of hard to believe Batman in that situation. Oh, definitely. And what I found here, though, and I don't, I, I could credit it to fantastic writing or that it actually, he could have done better, he being Scott in this case, uh, Snyder, because he comes off a little too sure of himself that there's just, there's no way he could have gotten into the Batcave. There's, it's just, there's just no way. So it's a little too full of himself and you don't know if it's being written that way because Scott is essentially saying he, he needs to put on that, that bravado face so that he doesn't blame himself for this as well and so that he can be sure that he can lay the blame fully on the Joker kind of thing and not on himself for not taking better precautions because of this. So again, it's hard to tell if it was, if he intended to write it that way or not. I'd like to err on the side of, yes, he intended it just because of the strength of the writing overall that Scott has shown. Mm -hmm. And then by the time we get to issue 16, we finally see what Joker's bizarre plan actually is. And, you know, he sees Batman as the king of Gotham City. And we see this in this whole ridiculous scene he has set up at Arkham Asylum where uh, we're going to come back to that in a second because I need I need to compose myself but he sees that you know the king has weakened himself by relying on all these you know lesser individuals and the various robins and etc cetera, etc cetera. and if he can separate Batman from all the people who are making him weaker then Batman is stronger Gotham is stronger and by association the Joker himself is that much stronger yeah, yeah, 
I'll, I'll wait until you get it more more into so, it. <laughs> so <laughs> Batman finds out Joker's hanging out at Arkham Asylum, and he gets there, and it's like Scott Snyder went, you know, that Arkham Asylum video game was pretty cool, took kind of a twisted take on, you know, the Batman stuff. Let's double that and show that we can still do better in the comics. Because <laughs> Batman gets here, Joker has completely taken over. He's got the guards dressed up in costume, dancing in the cells. All the prisoners are freed. You know, he dresses them up as knights with, you know, swords and horses. There is a tapestry made out of people, <laughs> with, which is retelling stories of the Joker and Batman. And the people are still alive and talking and asking to be freed. <laughs> that was what is wrong with you? <laughs> I thought that was awesome. I'm and not going to disagree. It. I just wouldn't have thought of it. Well, this is one of those where you got to wonder again how much influence the game did have on on Snyder. I'm, I'm sure he must have checked it out, and if not, shame on you, Scott. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, there it, it did have very much that feeling of Arkham uh, Asylum and and city and stuff, and especially because he brought in everybody kind of thing for it. It, it was absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. So once Batman finally tracks down the Joker, fights his way past Mr. Freeze, the Scarecrow, finds him up there with Riddler, Two-Face, the Penguin, you know, everybody's there. They've all, you know, Joker's given them all their roles in, in the kingdom, and he's really playing up this whole whole deal, even going so far as to make fun of, you know, the rest of the Justice League. But, you know, Batman's Batman. He's got this handled until Joker reveals that he has everybody else captured. Robin, Red Hood, Nightwing, Batgirl, uh, Red Robin. I think that's all of them. I don't know. I'm losing count at this point. And the only way that they will not die is if Batman takes his throne in an electric chair. And I, I loved the ending of that issue. I was like, is Batman actually going to do this? And because, you know, normally, you know, he has that we don't negotiate with terrorists sort of approach to things. But it, it goes to show you, you know, just how much, you know, Batman's willing to put himself through for, you know, the people he cares about. And it, again, for me, it came back to that thing of being a little too full of himself in terms of there's just no way he could have mm-hmm. gotten in. And this is... Again, I, I'm willing to give him the credit that, that this is what he planned. It's like, if this is the penance I have to go through because I did not take the proper precautions after that, then I'll do it. And that, that's the way that I read it. And so it made it that much better, those scenes. Yeah, I, I think I can agree with that. But how about where he wakes up? He actually wakes up in one of the tunnels of the Bat Cave. So... Maybe Joker wasn't lying after all. Yeah. I mean, it just so happens that that's the tunnel that was connected to Arkham Asylum, but you know, let, let, let's kind of leave that for, for a bit. And we finally find out what's under those friggin' platters we were talking about last month. How did you like that gag? Okay, you know what? When that, when he first, okay, well, we're going to obviously say what it is right away. You're yeah, not holding let's back. Let's just go with it. Okay, so it's everybody's faces. Okay, so he's got the entire crew line sitting down at the table with Batman. They're all obviously bound. Everybody except for Batman has got bloody bandages on their face, the same as um, what Joker had when he was covering himself up until he got his face back. And then when they open up each of the trays that's in front of each of them, it's their face on ice. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, <laughs> this is where, when I read that, I nearly cheered for Snyder for taking that kind of a risk. <laughs> I was like, you brilliant bastard. Yes, you do have the balls to handle Batman. To be able to tackle something like this and do this, you can still write your way out of it, of course, that the the best surgery can buy and things like that, but it'll be in the canon. It'll be beautiful in the canon, visceral, gritty, and fantastic. So up until later, I was cheering him for having the balls to do something like this. I thought it was brilliant. And I have to say, I didn't see it coming. It was like, I, I no. did not, I, I did not see it coming. It was like, that was magnificent. But then once it did happen, I knew like, it's the Joker. It has to be a gag. You know, he, he, he shows he's willing to go to any number of extremes, but he also shows he's willing to reverse that in the efforts of a good joke. Nope. Nope, not for me. As soon as you okay. found out it was a joke, it was like, oh, you bastard. Nope. I, I All of a sudden, I did not feel good about it. It was like, oh, you, yeah, you turned something that was phenomenal into a parlor trick. And it was like, oh, you know what? No, I, I, oh, I was so disappointed. But what about the metaphor Joker himself was going with here, where he wanted to show Batman that underneath you know, all of their masks, they were just tender and, you know, soft and useless to him. Whereas underneath Batman's mask, you know, there was a bat lying under. underneath the Joker's mask. He just had another smile. Like, what did you think of at least what oh, Joker yeah, yeah, was trying yeah. to say? Yeah, there? yeah, no, no. The writing for it and the justifications. Yes. Brilliant. It was. I'm, I'm really Snyder has has not disappointed me once yet in terms of, you know, the, the writing overall. It's just that to me. To me, it took the, the, the bat cannon to a whole other level. It really introduced something that was insanely gritty, powerful, wrench your emotions and, and, and like disturbing, like not just disturbing in the, oh, it's the Joker and it's a big joke disturbing where you never really take it seriously. No, this is, this is disturbing. And also it makes it so that anything in the future with him, you're going to take that seriously because he took people's faces off. So it's like, <laughs> don't, don't just kid around anymore that, you know, yes, we know that over the years he's killed countless people and things like that. But this is, this is, this is a whole new level of disturbing, but it turned that into a joke instead. So that's why I was like, ugh. Yeah, you wrote it well after and stuff, but you're still not going to make me appreciate it anywhere near as much as I did initially. But it's the Joker. Don't care. Don't care. All it right, it well. would have been, I, I maintained that, and again, it would have been written around anyways in terms of Bruce pays for the surgery and whatever, and then there's only minor little visible scars or maybe none because it's so good. I can I can live with that. That, that makes sense and that's fine. It's still... Think of the dynamics between the group after they've had their faces off. Think of what you could do with the writing with all of those characters then. Are they going to keep doing this? Are they Damien going to would be hilarious? I'll agree with that. Oh yeah. All of them, the writing for what he could have done that all of the writers could have done with their respective series as well for all of the tie-ins would have been, I mean, a wealth of opportunity in terms of, character development after that and, and character development between them in terms of what they're willing to put up with and what they're willing to do and how much they trust him. Like think of how much they would have blamed him 
for for this once they'd have found out that about the playing card. I mean, it would have shaken things up so magnificently. Yeah, like all the other stuff they went through was nothing. <laughs> Compared to losing your well, yeah, I'm not, yeah, Of course, but no, still. It would have been a cakewalk compared to that. <laughs> all right. Well, without uh, going through all of the little details, we finally come to the final confrontation of the story between Batman and Joker, where, you know, Batman... Again, still not sure exactly if he truly believes it or if he's just going with it. Knows that Joker, you know, never never infiltrated, didn't actually know anything about any of them, but turns it around and is like, but I've done my homework. I know who you are. And as he leans in to tell Joker, you know, that he, he knows his true identity, Joker opts to jump off a cliff instead of hear it. Because... As Batman explains, Joker wants to retain the illusion. Joker doesn't want Batman to know who he is just as much as he doesn't want to know who Batman's true identity is because that ruins this grand illusion and, you know, this whole persona he has made up. And even going so far as to say he once visited Joker in Arkham Asylum as Bruce Wayne with the playing card and Joker didn't even see him like staring him like staring through him almost wouldn't acknowledge that that fact was standing in front of him what did you think of that that I liked that I liked a lot and that there once again now you're putting something into the canon we're in he does know the, the, the Joker does know he chooses not to acknowledge it but he knows it and that's a whole different dynamic that you're putting into the writing going forward as well now whenever these two are interacting. So, so again, when you, when you know that, then going back over the entirety of the story, yes, he would know who each of the Bat people and the Robins are. So, again, and then when you look at that, and then had he taken the, the, the faces kind of thing, then once again, it is square on Bruce because it is. He did find out who they were because of having gotten in. So, again, great writing, but God, it pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we can see at the end of the story, even though nobody died, you know, this really was the, the quote, death of the family because, you know, everybody's recovering. Bruce invites them all, you know, to the mansion, you know, to, to, to hang out, to recover, to have dinner or whatever. And in their own ways, they all refuse him. Even Damien finds something better to do than, than to spend time with his own father after this. So that shows that the trust they all had and they all showed to, to Bruce is now completely gone. And that sets up any number of fantastic stories that they can tell going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I am interested to see um, where each of the respective writers are going to be taking this. Mm-hmm. So overall, Death of the Family, how did uh, oh, how overall did you like it? Oh, overall, is absolutely brilliant. It, it oh. was absolutely fantastic. Following something as powerful as the Court of Owls, you would have to do something pretty big. And this is not what we had in the Court of Owls, which was a lot more intelligent, I don't want to say intelligent, but you know, that cerebral writing, it was much more about the, the, the detective aspect of Bruce and figuring things out and all that. It wasn't the gritty heart wrenching kind of thriller that we got with death and the family, but it, it showed that again, he's a very versatile writer and he has the chops to tackle any story arc he wants to. So I was, I was very impressed. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, D- Death of the Family definitely had a larger scope where, you know, Gotham itself was a major character in that. And it was more involved with the mythos uh, of Batman himself, whereas this was obviously more character focused. And e- even though it was, you know, theoretically a smaller story, it was no less powerful. Definitely. And the the writers for the um, the other series as well, when they did tackle um, the tie-ins, did uh, an amazing job. I mean, to the point where, again, I enjoyed the Suicide Squad tie-ins. Really enjoyed the Suicide Squad tie-ins with everything that was being done with Harley was nothing short of brilliant as well. They were fantastic. Suicide Squad is an interesting one to bring up because, like I said, I've been enjoying Suicide Squad. It's, you know, it's a guilty pleasure. I'll own up to it. And the quality of the writing, (laughs) there is a significant increase for the Death of the Family tie-ins and then a sharp drop-off back to where it was. Still fun, but by no means good. It's, you know, it's it's stupid fun, but I, I can't believe that it was the same, you know, creative team <laughs> that made those two issues as have made all, all the others surrounding it. I, the stuff with the death in, uh, I keep saying death in, death of the family, the, the tie-in stuff was so good in Suicide Squad. It was, it made me have so much more respect for the character of Quinn as well and really enjoy because I mean, for the first time in a bloody long time, we see a change in her character. She's always just been the fluffy character attached to Joker's arm. I mean, there's of course there's been some changes, but they've been pretty subtle and, and, and minor overall. This is, this is huge in terms of character development for her. And then as soon as it was back to their regular storyline, I tried and it was like, Nope. I guess I'm done with this series now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'd seen even prior to Death of the Family, you know, small bits of, you know, Harlene, you know, her her, her true identity, trying to kind of reassert herself over, you know, what has become Harley, you know, and, you know, trying to be, you know, more of her true self instead of that, you know, Joker persona that she had taken on. And, you know, whether that goes anywhere or not, it, it was... It was a good step, at least for the character with with the tie-in. But uh, what were some of the other tie-ins that you liked? I did like the Batman and Robin as well. I I really enjoyed the Batman and Robin tie-ins. It was primarily, of course, Robin. um, But him kind of fighting off someone who is pretending to be his father and just how far he's willing to go um, or feels he has to go before he gets taken down kind of thing. There was a lot of psychological drama going on there with him like dumped in the pile of bugs and everything it was i i really enjoyed that one a lot and while you know a year and change ago neither one of us really cared for damien i i have to say peter tomasi over the course of his work on batman and robin has really shown a lot of growth in damien uh, also with that annual that we both loved the the annual was one of the best things i've read for quite a while it was Mm -hmm. really really quite good yeah, so, 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 especially once they introduced the dog, you know, that, that's when I started yeah. to be like, realize, you know, Damien started, Damien himself started to soften up and, you know, who doesn't love a big dog? Well, there is so, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've really come, come to, to like the, you know, the new 52 Damien. Yeah. The, the bad girl stuff was interesting as well too. The, uh, the stuff with her mother being taken by the Joker and whatnot and this, the, the, the just how far she's willing to go mm-hmm. as compared to Batman. And you really get the feeling that, you know, if she got her hands on his neck and she was able to, because, 
you know, she wasn't able to because her mother's being held in this and that. And if you try to kill him, it's going to kill her. Blah, blah, blah. But if she could have, you really get the impression that, yes, she would have actually snapped his neck if she could have. And, and it was it was powerfully written. I think that the stuff with the brother kind of got in the way, but it's not that much that it ruined it. I, I wouldn't say it got in the way. I would say it was kind of a smart way to move the overall storyline forward. Like, like we see with so many comics, you know, when a tie-in comes around, whatever they're doing kind of gets put on hold in order to focus on the tie-in and then come back. Whereas Gail Simone kind of melded the overall True. Batgirl storyline into the death of the family to to make the the comic itself that much stronger. Yeah, that that is true too. And, and I did read the last one too. Which, and then she got fired. Yeah. <laughs> we love you, Gail. <laughs> if you ever want to come on the show, you let us know. Um, but no, it's it's. I did read the last one, which is primarily again with with the brother and the jokers and trying to tie up those loose ends and it, and it was good. So maybe it's just that the story with the brother is not one that interests me nearly as much. Mm-hmm. Um, did you check out Nightwing? I checked out the first one with Nat- Nightwing, but I didn't get a chance to check out the other ones. Yeah. I, it's just, I mean, I've tried to read that comic several times since, uh, the, the whole relaunch and you know, nothing against Dick, nothing against the character. I, I just can't get into it. And for, I don't know why I just, the, the whole circus thing, it's not really working for me overall. I like the circus stuff, uh, early on. When it was brought in early on, I kind of mm-hmm. enjoyed it actually, but then it did lose some of the steam. It's kind of pulling him away, at least in my eyes, of you know where I would want a Nightwing story to be. I'm not going to disagree with you. Okay, uh, Teen Titan was or Red Hood? Did you bother? Didn't even check them out. I, I, I just because I, I read the first tie-in issues for each, and. Uh, Tim and Jason aren't even in the comics. It's their teams in Gotham trying to find them. And I could not care less about Arsenal or I can't even name any of the Teen Titans. So that was a quick drop for me. Maybe it's because I haven't really been keeping up with either of those. I mean, I did with the Teen Titans not early my time. <laughs> you know, I mean, there, I keep going back to there are so many good comic books out there. Why am I going to waste my time reading something that I'm fairly positive I'm not going to like? Which is... <laughs> I'll be mentioning that in the what we've been reading. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah. So when it comes to this, I mean, I liked some of the Teen Titans stuff early on, but then it, I kind of stopped reading it. So I didn't bother going back for this. I figure if I'm not invested in the characters enough to care, am I really going to care about the tie-ins all that much? Mm-hmm. And the Red and, Hood? Pff, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Gave up and on then, that a long uh, time ago. <laughs> a week or two ago, I forget when, when we uh, talked about uh, Detective Comics and how that was a small tie-in where the death of the family enabled uh, Layman to tell a different story that kind of related to the Joker, but it wasn't quite necessary. And I, I, I like that because we have three comics out right now starring Batman. If each one had been, you know, the death of the family storyline, it would have gotten too much. So that's I like true. that he, he had a small tie-in that, you know, if you wanted to read it, it was there. But it, that's how I like my, my tie-in comics to work. That being said, I'm not going to lie. I am still really not digging too much on what Layman's doing. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of not really, no. I, I like bits of it. It's just not grabbing me. It's not grabbing me at all, at all, at all, at all. Which is funny because, again, like, look at how much respect we have for what he's done on Chew. Like, it's insane how much we both like that series. And, and it's not that it's a fluke. Being a good writer for the guy who reads the past from eating food doesn't necessarily mean he's going to work well on 
Batman. And see, that's what to me it's proven. It's proven that he, yes, he's a phenomenal writer, but he's a phenomenal writer in one category, which there's nothing wrong with that. You can be an amazing writer for one genre, and that's what Chu is for him. But I just don't feel like that's what that that he's doing that great a job on Batman. But you know what? It could also be that his hands are tied in terms of just how much he's able to do with it as well. Wouldn't be the first writer at DC we've seen that. Exactly. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. All right. So one last Batman-related thing, and we're kind of getting going to get into spoiler territory here, but, I mean, it's not much of a spoiler if it was a headline on DC's own website a couple days ago. But uh, like we were just saying, we're liking a lot of the character development that Damien is getting in Batman and Robin and elsewhere. So, of course, they're killing him today in Batman Incorporated. I didn't even know that. <laughs> Thanks for spoiling it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're Damien, Damien is now dead. So uh, all that Again? great character development we were really enjoying, gone. Yeah, they'll bring him back somehow. He's I, already died. I, I, the timing of it, because <laughs> I, I, I'm really on board with Batman and Robin now. And it, oh, God. They'll just take him to the Al Ghul pool of health thing there. <laughs> bring him back. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm sorry. I, this is just Grant Morrison throwing his weight around. You know, he basically created Damien back when he first brought him in on Batman years ago. And Grant's on his way out the door of DC altogether. And, you know, he's taking his toys with him is the way I see it. <laughs> because let me tell you, when Grant Morrison was writing Damien, Damien sucked. <laughs> it wasn't until... Uh, I forget who was writing the actual Batman comic at the time. I, I apologize. But when Bruce had died and Damien had teamed up with Dick, that's when I started to like Damien, when Grant Morrison wasn't writing him. So that sucks. <laughs> it, I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately disappointed. Well, again, we need to wait and see what's going to happen. It wouldn't be the first character that's killed and then brought back. Still. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fine. And, and, and if the way DC went about it, you go to dccomics.com on Monday, two days before the comic comes out, and there's a giant pop-up headline, The Death of Damian Wayne. Like, really, guys? <laughs> well, nobody needs to buy the comic now. Thanks. They've seen how good the sales are when you put Death of in the title. It, it just rockets. <laughs> All right, into what we're reading. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about Extreme X-Men. We had issue 10 come out two weeks ago. And this is one, of, we've seen it so many times where we know a comic is being canceled because it is. And we see the writer trying to tell as much of the story they wanted to tell as possible in what issues they have left. And it's so disappointing because in this issue, we got the entire backstory of Civil War Cyclops which would have been great if it had had, you know, a couple issues of its own to, to yeah, go out, no as well as bits of Howlett and Hercules, their, their backstory together. And I loved every bit of those characters' backstories, and it just, it's so bad that they got a couple pages each instead of a couple issues like they should have had. I didn't know it was being canceled. It yeah. makes a hell of a lot of sense now, too, because, yeah, that story was just, pff, it tried to And we also didn't need so 14 X-Men comics. Yeah. Holy crap. Uh, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. So the, the story itself, you know, has been okay, but the characters have really carried it. 
Well, some of the issues have been really Oh, some quite, of them have been really good. Really good overall. I mean, this this issue it. alone, we had Nazi Xavier and Samurai Namor. That was awesome. I, oh, God, yeah. And the stuff with, again, Civil War Scott. Oh, my God. I really wanted to read more of that. that I would want have been a Civil amazing. War Marvel miniseries. God, that would have been phenomenal. So, yeah, no, that's, that makes a lot of sense now. Because I was wondering what the hell was going on. Because mm-hmm. it, was, it, it was all over the place. I think issue 12 starts there. They're doing a crossover between Astonishing X-Men, Age of Apocalypse, and Extreme X-Men. And once it's over, Age of Apocalypse and Extreme X-Men are both canceled. Hmm. Well, that's too bad. Mm-hmm. The scene with Howlett and Hercules where he's holding up his leg. Brilliant. <laughs> the, oh, my God. I looked at that and nearly cheered. <laughs> you go, James. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also I want to talk about Avengers, uh, how we had you know the big introduction storyline over the first three issues. And then issues four, five, and six ha- have been that Hickman solo issues, each issue focusing on a character that – most people don't know anything about. Uh, issue four was Hyperion. Eh, that one was okay for me. I mean, I don't, I don't think Hyperion himself is strong enough to carry a storyline on his own. Uh, the stuff with Smasher in issue five, I actually really enjoyed. That was a, a cool cool take on the character who's you know been around in various incarnations for several decades. And then same thing with issue six, the, uh, the Captain Universe stuff, because when I'm explaining this comic to, to you know, some old school comic fans who have kind of lapsed, they're like, Captain Universe can't be part of the Avengers because Captain Universe isn't a person. It, it's a mantle of power that passes from person to person, you know, wherever it's needed. So to have somebody who is retaining uh, the mantle of Captain Universe really lends itself to showing that there's big stuff coming here if Captain Universe is sticking around. Plus the story for the character herself was, was pretty good. I really have been enjoying it, though I have been finding it, hmm, how do I say this? Not as tight in terms of the writing, as what we saw with Fantastic Four, a I, that's that's a lot of that's to be expected, just because of the you know the number of characters we have. True, but I don't know. I I would not put the writing that we're seeing in here on par with what we saw with Fantastic Four, which isn't to say it's bad. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean the bar that he puts up is fairly high, so to say it's not as good as is still pretty damn good. Um, but I don't know. I just I didn't think it was. I, I, there was quite a disparity, I thought, in terms of the, the quality of the writing compared to the others. I do like, however, though, even as he is introducing them, there's, um, there's a lot that's still going on with the existing characters mm-hmm. and not always the same ones. So you get different characters that are being, you know, used to integrate the other ones, like the one that you're talking about with Universe Chick, um, with Shang-Chi and, and Spider-Man is in there a little bit as well. <laughs> and I love that it's Spider-Man. It's actually Doc Ock Spider-Man, which, yes. you know, <laughs> I've been wondering when we'd see more of that Doc Ock in the Avengers, because now we're seeing so much of it, obviously, in, in Avenging and, and Superior. So I've been looking forward to seeing that. So And it was great. <laughs> the, 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 the little interactions with, with uh, Captain, <laughs> Captain America, too. When he's telling them they're pissing him off and stuff, well, then stop eating their food. <laughs> <laughs> or no, that was with uh, Stark. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, moving into Captain America, just briefly, I love how gloriously and unapologetically insane that comic is. And yet, as out there and ridiculous as the story is, 
it still lends itself to the core of Steve's character of, you know, standing up for the innocent and being the one who can fight for those who can't fight for themselves. It's brilliant stuff. I'm actually falling behind on that one. I'm very disappointed to see. Ramita is completely unleashing himself on the artwork. The, the everything in that alternate dimension is great stuff. I need to, you know what it is? I'm missing issue number two. Mm. And I need to go back and get issue number two so that I can continue reading the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, Ghostbusters. We were talking about the new Ghostbusters number you one. Read it? I loved it. Oh. The 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 art style was quirky, but it fit. And they they take the original four Ghostbusters off the board, and this is a new four uh, featuring Janine and apparently a bunch of other characters I don't recognize from a previous incarnation of the comics. But jumping right in with all these characters I don't really know, it worked. I I loved that comic. Hmm. Okay, because hey, who doesn't love the Ghostbusters? I, I didn't check it out because I wasn't sure. I was going to I thought you were going to say you didn't like the Ghostbusters. <laughs> you done? Do I get my turn? Yes, it's now your turn. Okay. So I decided, <laughs> because I'm an idiot, <laughs> that I would give... Maybe it was a mistake for the first issue, huh? That maybe that Savage Wolverine actually would be decent and that it just was the first one wasn't that great. <sighs> No, it was bad. <laughs> and it's going to continue to be bad from here on out. So I actually, and I read it all, even right from the get-go, you can tell. And it's like one of those, oh, this was a, a mistake. <laughs> I should not have gotten this. But I thought, I'll keep reading anyway. And it just continues to be bad throughout. You thought there was a lot of <laughs> gratuitous poses and everything for chicken bikini yeah that continues that that continues plus the relationship between her and wolverine is gets annoying at points it's not just that it's like they, they grate on each other's nerves it grates on your nerves reading it <laughs> um and this other guy they've got in there too yeah I, I yeah it was bad i really didn't enjoy it at all so I know you didn't read it. You were Not smarter than me in that regard. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did you read the newest uh, Ultimate Comics X Men number twenty two? I think I did. They're going on still with what's going on with the seed and the backlash. That's right. From and everybody they, they, they burned the greenhouse. Yeah, and then they get attacked. You, you obviously you see that coming. I'm kind of like so much happened initially, and then they got given this plot of useless land make the most of it kind of thing and then you know that okay there's going to be a lot of infighting and bickering between them because they don't all get along and some of them are trying to sabotage um kitty and stuff like that um and then the role that iron man takes as he goes there too is a little bit too hoity-toity trying to help him out in some ways but then offering a little bit like quite a bit of advice in terms of how they should proceed. Like like the dude who built an Iron Man suit has any concept of how it is to build a nation, you know? So it's like, well... But he thinks he does. But he, yeah, and it's, and it's that's Tony, Tony yeah, Stark. So that, that makes sense. Um, the infighting between them, I know it has to exist, but it's kind of drawn out for me now. It's like, well, I'm okay, glad that they're, they're kind of separating them at least for a while now. Yeah, so it, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, you... 
it's enough's enough. Um, and just basically because it, it, we need more action at this point. It's been a lot of political drama kind of stuff going on. So it's like we need to really get back to the roots of what X-Men is, which is just crap loads of freaking action and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so that was that for me. Um, and then lastly, the um, the newest Hulk, I think it's issue number four. I think so. Um, I read that. Yeah, it is f- uh, issue four. And did you read that one? I actually haven't read four yet. The last one I read was uh, three, the one where he's punching Tony Stark in the face. Right. Okay. And see, which was I, great. <laughs> see, I actually thought that was fairly weak myself, that issue. I'm not saying the issue itself, just punching Tony oh, Stark. Oh, yeah. In that, the face. That's always awesome. This was great. This was, <laughs> he, he wakes up. And he's checking himself out, making sure that he's keeping all his vitals and things like that and heartbeat down and yada, yada. And he walks out of the house and he's talking to like morning Fred and you just see a postman walking kind of thing. But then the next panel, you see that it's, it's like a mannequin and you keep reading and there's like kids playing and he fixes a little dog that's fallen over and stuff like that. He's in a nuclear testing facility. (laughs) A, a town that they'd built years ago when they'd been doing their nuclear tests and everything. And, and so, and it's cordoned off like full, like bunch of houses and everything and cars and everything. And that's where he stays. And I love that the sign is nuclear Springs, Nevada, atomic testing facility, population zero, but he's crossed out nuclear Springs and, and wrote Bannerville and population crossed out the zero and put one. <laughs> so he gets to meet, the new team, which he had, we saw, I think was in three, two and three possibly, mm-hmm. where they were recruiting. interviewing. In a, yeah, so they we're going to have some new people here that's going to flesh out the story some more. And so you get to see them and how they react to him, uh, especially when he pretends being angry about something and stuff like that. And then you have, again, so that we have great story initially with character development and characters and different things. And then, boom, action with this underwater stuff that's going on um, with this new Atlantean. And is I did see somebody post a great panel online of when he's in the submarine and he's like, I found out how long all the shield yeah, agents really. can hold their <laughs> breath when the Hulk stubs his toe. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a very good issue. I am really, really digging where he's gone with this, this story arc. I'm really, really enjoying this series a lot, actually. Mm. And so many writers have struggled with, balancing the banner story with the Hulk story. And I think Wade's found a good balance. Yeah. I mean, Aaron did a good job initially with the last reboot, but then it just went way off the rails, way off the rails. Um, I'm, I'm much preferring where this is going. Mm -hmm. And actually one more seeing as I was going to mention something and you kind of went, no, we're going to do that another week. Um, Fantastic four, number four. Did you read it? I did. I'm trying to remember it. Oh, the one with the cave painting? Yeah. That was so good. That was freaking awesome. Freaking <laughs> awesome. Obviously, the, 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 almost the entirety of the issue is character, devel- character development for Reed. And you find out again more about how he feels about Susan and, and how they initially met and things like that. Um, but how he ties that in with this other race of people and this the painting on the, the, the cave wall of the family, which, you know, was from years before kind of thing. I, I really liked this issue a lot. It was really quite good. Yeah. Although at some point, you know, I, I the, the whole prank with Johnny, I was sitting back thinking, 
hold on. Didn't Johnny really grow up when he came back from the freaking no. the negative zone? He was a little bit more mature he, than he this. He did, stupidity. but. Yeah, I was hoping that we were done with the stupid Johnny versus I will ben never be thing. done with the prank I, I would be good with being done. So, anyways. Especially because that's a prank he set up like an issue two, I think it was. Still. <laughs> it would have been better. Anyways, so that's it. All right. Well, into today's new releases from Marvel, they have given us a heck of a lineup this week. We have Avenging Spider-Man number 17, FF number 4, Guardians of the Galaxy 0.1, Hawkeye number 8, Punisher Warzone number 5, Ultimate X-Men 23, Uncanny Avengers 4, Uncanny X-Force 2, Uncanny X-Men 2, noticing a theme here today, X-Men Legacy number 6, Extreme X-Men number 11, and Young Avengers number 2. Too many. How many times do they need to hear or see a list like this to realize there's too many Avengers and X-Men titles? Come on, people. Seriously. There as are other keep casts. Yeah, them, they'll really keep selling them. Yeah, but that's all, they're sell- that, that's all they're putting out. Jesus. That's all they're selling. Yeah. Not for lack of effort. Catch 22. (laughs) All right, DC this week. We're looking at Aquaman 17, if you really care about uh, seeing the aftermath of the current Justice League storyline. Batman Incorporated number eight, which I've now told you you no longer need to read. Flash number 17 and Talon number five. Talon's been awesome. Oh, yes. And we have a really good lineup from uh, everybody else this week. Dark Horse is bringing us the massive number nine. IDW has a big lineup of uh, licensed properties with Doctor Who number six. Doctor Who Prisoners of Time number two. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Secret History of the Foot Clan number three. And Transformers Robots in Disguise number 14. But the big winner this week is Image because we're getting Witch Doctor Malpractice and Skull Kickers number 19. Awesome. Except that's not quite right because if you look at the cover, it's Uncanny Uncanny. Skull Kickers number one. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just really excited for that. <laughs> and I, I don't know if they did it on purpose to have it come out the same day as all of the Marvel Uncanny really, stuff. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's going to be it for us this week. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CBinformer. And until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs>